Welcome to Tools Day. We've got a grab bag, a variety show of new tech that we found. So strap yourselves in and enjoy the ride. We're talking about a whole bunch of stuff. Delightful. <laughs> Lovely. <laughs> Welcome to Tools Day, a podcast all about tech tools, tips, and tricks every other Tuesday at 2. I'm your co-host, Yuna. And I am Chris. And today we're doing a variety show. Variety show. show. Yeah. Ooh. So we've been doing a couple of variety shows lately. And I think that the reason why is because it might be me, Chris, and I don't want to jinx it. But uh -oh. I feel like the tech atmosphere is kind of moving like a little bit less rapidly than it has been in the past few years. I would agree with that. I think it's a bit slower, which is good in a lot of yes. ways. And so uh, I think also, I think some of the innovation areas are really isolated into a bubble. So for most people, just you never run into it. Um, or you're kind of catching up to the, the bleeding edge that was, that was there last year. Uh, I feel like what has become, what was bleeding edge last year or two years ago is now normalized. And the bleeding edge has not really pushed that much farther out. Yeah, I, I think, I don't know, maybe there's something about covid getting involved in all this but i feel like every year there's been like a new framework a new yeah. you know i don't know api interface or something and right now it just feels like everyone's kind of settled on next which has been out for a couple of years and yeah. gatsby and 11d and graphql is the thing that you're using for your api interface and that's pretty much not changed and then there's react native which yeah. is the same. Uh, CSS modules are the same. There hasn't been a lot of movement in that world. Yeah. Tailwind's been around if you want to use a styling framework. And yeah. that's still there. <laughs> it's still there. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure there's been, there's probably some cool thing somewhere. But we, I guess, not, neither of us are really interfacing with that. We're dealing with kind of some stuff that's been out there for a bit. I do like it because I feel like I've gotten the chance to broaden the things I work on. Because I don't have to like learn as much new things all the time on the on the on the UI side, and so I've had the chance to kind of learn some new things elsewhere. Uh, yeah. But we can talk about that uh, later on the show, I think. Uh, and so today I'm reading off the sponsors, uh, you know, just for a, a quick twist in our plot in our twist. A plot new. twist. Something new. All right. So we have new in tech. A Chris new reads sponsor messages. No, I read the sponsor messages. <laughs> uh, we have one today, and it's one I'm actually personally excited about. It's called Voyage App. It's a tool built by and for developers. And what it does is that it creates on-demand staging environments for every PR. Uh, you can save at least five hours per week per developer on feature development and QA. One of the very cool things about this is this, this is a full stack deployment. So let's say you're developing your an application as opposed to only doing a, a feature stack for your front end it can also spin up your new database a new back-end service and seed that with information so you have a truly unique and pristine uh, stack to test on which is super cool and I haven't seen that on any other kind of equivalent mm. uh, tool like this um, there is a unique deployment for each PR with a unique URL which you can share with your team I love that uh, that it's is very, so useful. I always use like custom URLs for branches yeah. on GitHub now. It's so cool. And one of the, another really cool thing is that there's a built-in feedback tool. So for each unique URL, there's a little, you know, a little button in the far right. You click it and it pops up a little modal where you can like deliver feedback and it goes straight into the PR in GitHub or Bitbucket or any other integration that you have. And so 
if you send out this feature stack to your PM, your designer, they can leave feedback through the tool and it will pop up in your code tool of choice, uh, which is super cool. And then finally, it's safe and secure. So your code is secure and, and never accessible by any team, including Voyage itself. And you can password protect your, your deployments as well. So super cool. I think it'll be useful for a lot of people. And uh, I thank you for sponsoring us, Voyage. Thanks, Voyage. So, okay, we, we started the show by saying like, there's been fewer movements, big shifts in tech. Yeah. I feel like the last like really like tremendous one actually was like React Hooks. That felt yeah. like a really big, big shift. Thing. There's yeah. been a lot of well, there's been a lot of stuff since then. And you know what? A lot of stuff is coming in the CSS world this year. I'm telling you yeah. that. Um, but as somebody who gets to work on the web platform now, I also get to see kind of like what's coming down the pipeline and getting implemented in browsers and there's yeah. been a lot of really cool stuff so my first grab bag item is something that i i think is really 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 cool and yeah. will make a lot of difference in reducing how we hack around beautiful web design and that is okay. scroll timelines so a declarative scroll timeline is basically something that allows for you to write some logic like you would an animation timeline but do it in CSS. So you don't necessarily need to use JavaScript and the Web Animations API to create a scroll timeline. And this is like a thing that is in Chrome Canary right now. I think it's Chromium 90. And um, it allows for you to specify a timeline that is based on the scrolling, the scroll bar of your page. And you could do that either the vertical scroll or horizontal scroll. There's a few different options. And there's been some really great articles that have come out lately. Um, one person I really want to highlight is Bramus. His website is bram.us. And um, his name is Bramus Van Dom. I hope I pronounced that correctly. And he's just been killing it with these scroll timeline articles. He wrote two parts and it goes really in depth into how to use this with working demos if you're in Chromium 90 plus. So it's like really cool. It, it lets you do like parallax effects. It lets you do all sorts of things like when you're scrolling and an image pops in or like an image like expands to fill the space it's kind of like using the same primitives as um intersection observer because yeah you could do like a bunch of cool yeah. stuff and honestly i don't even have a super like strong uh, grasp on this and i think this is the next thing that i want to just like dig deeper on like yeah. i have an overall idea of how this works but i want to build some more stuff in it and also i want to add that my colleague Adam Argyle has done a great post on scroll animations, scrolling to animations, and um, has a series called GUI Challenges where he does a bunch of like like cool like interactive layout and UI stuff. Yeah. And I'll link to all those in the show notes to all the stuff I'm mentioning. But anyway, scroll timeline, check it out. That's my first grab back item. Sorry, Chris, I just kind of like railed on about no, it. No, no. So I'm actually so I just built a scroll timeline animation um, recently. You know, there's kind of a classic one where you have a large header at the top of your, top of your page title, and as you scroll down, you have a fixed header at the very top, and you, you animate in a kind of a different, a smaller text of that header. And what happens usually is that, you know, after a certain point, you just, at you, um, opacity fade in that element, and it's super cool. But you, mm -hmm. right now, you basically have, you have an on-scroll event listener, and then once it passes a little certain point, you have to trigger off a an animation you know you add, you add a class yeah to, to it, the it was very header. javascript based and you have yeah. to do all that styling 
in your logic, which yeah. isn't ideal. So that's where you now have scroll timeline. Yeah. That yeah. seems so cool. It I'm, really I'm, is. Ah, I haven't even, I want to do a whole show on this because I feel like I haven't even really scratched the surface of yeah. the possibilities of this and the web world like hasn't yet, but it is a yeah. big deal. It is such a big deal that you don't need JavaScript to do this anymore. It's just like, ugh. Yeah. <laughs> just, <laughs> I, I'm so excited for all the kind of new CSS things that people have been talking about recently. Element queries, you know, all, all the stuff that I feel like we talked about five, six years ago. And we're like, ah, this is, well, this, this will never actually, uh, actually happen. And then it seems like it's happening. Um, yeah. So that's super cool. Um, yeah. Okay. So my first grab bag is, Prisma slash Postgres DB. Um, and this is something that's kind of uh, something I've been doing recently where I've been doing a bunch of back end ish work. Um, and I'm a UI engineer. I love building that scroll timeline animation. It's fun for me. Um, but I'm doing a side project right now and I'm the only engineer. And so you have to do kind of everything. And traditionally for me, I have been really scared to do anything database ish. Cause I never had to do SQL. I don't have a comp side background. You know, I did political science as in college. And so I could write papers, but like this, <laughs> you know, SQL syntax seemed frightening to me. Setting up database seemed frightening to me. And um, I've been using Prisma recently and and it, with Postgres and it's, it's super declarative and it's it's so approachable to come into and, and build actual database queries. You can build a database model and it's, it's, it's it looks like GraphQL for the first bit and then it eventually does give you a GraphQL um, server at the end. And it's been so, so fun to work with, which is something I would never have thought I would say about databases and like backendish work. Um, and uh, yeah, so I, I just want to shout out those two things. You know, Prisma is the is the, is the wrapper, and Postgres is what I'm using as the database itself. And so, okay, um, but but pause because I need yeah, more yeah. info. Because okay. okay, I I'm in the same boat where. I am very much a front-end developer. I yeah. don't work a lot with the back-ends. I'm also working on a side job project right now, but I have yeah. a back-end developer friend who's working on it with me, so I'm, I don't yeah. have to deal with that. But there's a lot of times where I have an idea and I want to build it, and I feel like that database part and just like the object storage part of like the project is missing yeah. from my brain. And mm -hmm. so you're saying that this this is a GUI interface it's not good it's not a good universe it's, so it's still in code but like you so you define a schema in a prisma.schema file um and it says model post brackets id it's integer it, it looks like a graphql is this like uh, firebase because i remember firebase felt a lot like that no it's not firebase so it's it's so prisma is what's called a orm um which you know i feel like uh, object relational mapping um which is basically like a wrapper around um, how do I talk to a data system with a um, different tool, um, and so it has basically its own query syntax. You can run, you can wrap around um, Postgres or a different or MySQL, mm -hmm. and so it's still you know a database shenanigans, but it just has a slightly different language, and then you can always escape back into the pure SQL queries if you really want to. Um, but like, there's an, you know, it's, it's, it's just super like JavaScripty and so, and so much like if I want to make a query, I say await, you know, the kind of classic promise thing, Prisma dot the, the model, uh, dot find unique where, you know, a certain property matches something else. And then 
it just kind of builds up the query for you and so you don't have to do the sql itself um but so you do it in a very like object javascripty ish way and it all just kind of works um it's also with typescript so you get out of the box and it yeah it's been just lovely to do and um there's still things i'm learning you know i haven't never had to do database migrations before i didn't even know what that meant um which like, <laughs> i, I want to add a new column you know a new, a new property to my a list and i'm like what is it what is a migration mean? what does this mean i just want to add a new column and so it's been a learning process but it's been a lot less scary because of of prisma so uh, shout out to them. So you said that you've been using this with GraphQL. So Prisma um, uh, builds out a GraphQL server for you at the end, at the end of the day, um, um, which is which is dope. So. so why would you need Prisma? I think this is where I'm like, con yeah. like okay. where so I like, have like that back end, front end disconnect. Yes. Okay, so one of the things about GraphQLs is that, is that it, uh, one of the hard parts with this is, is that not many people talk about the GraphQL server. Uh, you often talk about the Apollo. GraphQL. So Apollo has two parts. It has Apollo server and Apollo client. Mm -hmm. If you're a UI engineer, you almost only ever deal with Apollo client, which is the requesting to the Apollo server of data. So you say, I have a GraphQL query which says, get get posts with this ID. And you fire it off, fire it off in a client and it comes back your posts. Mm -hmm. But somewhere, a server has to go into a database and fetch those posts. And the server has to be taught how to fetch those posts. Right, and so in your in your GraphQL server or Apollo server, which Apollo server is a wrapper on GraphQL server, um, you have to write resolvers, which says DB query, which queries the databases, right? And if you're a UI engineer, oftentimes that GraphQL server has already been built, or it's wrapping around a REST API, and you never have to touch that portion of actually resolving how do I actually get this data out of a database? Yes, this sounds uh, like my side project where yes. I'm not doing that. <laughs> right, exactly. And so, um, and this is actually a hard part of, of, of GraphQL sometimes, which is, you know, how do I actually do this in the, in the server? And so Prisma does this for you, where it wraps around your database, it generates some things for you, and for other things, it gives you a query syntax language so you can easily create these queries. Um, and uh, you don't have to think about, you know, I, I'm not sure if you ever used Mongoose before. Mongo, you know, a few years ago, there was that whole mean stack thing. Yeah. And you had to use Mongoose, or you can use whatever you want, but I use Mongoose. Mongoose. CouchDB. Yeah, to, to request data from a database, and then you return it to a REST, to Express, which gives you REST API. And so Prisma sits in that Mongoose Express part of that stack where it gives you an API server with GraphQL. It also lets you a language to query against your database, so it's a little bit easier to do. Um, Got it. And cool. it's been it's been a good introduction for me into that side of the of the of the stack. Yeah, that was super helpful. They also have a really beautiful website with some dope animations that yeah. <laughs> are. I don't even know what this is. Is this an SVG because it's selectable, but it's animating? You know, it's it's a it's a well built tool. So props it, out to them. Oh, yeah. they have like a cool like JSX based like little React animation. Anyway, cool. Yeah cool um site and i feel like this is something i want to explore more too so thank you for that explanation all, all that prisma all that for, prisma stuff all that prisma um okay so my next thing in the grab bag i just did css things i'm like what is what do i know about that's new um aspect ratio which has hit all modern browsers almost i think it is 
I think it's in Firefox. It, it definitely, if it's not in current Firefox, it's in Nightly, and it's in Safari Tech Preview. So um, aspect ratio is a CSS property that lets you set aspect ratios very directly on any element. So instead of doing like a hack with like padding top and- Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, is this is this news to you, Chris? Am I am I? I feel like I we, you might have, you might have mentioned this at some point to me, but it's hearing about it again is 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 wonderful. The support is really going to be good very very soon. Yeah. And um, it is so so incredibly useful. Like as I mentioned, you don't have to hack around creating space for media like videos and images, and you can use aspect ratio for your um any element so you could do yeah. like a card with an aspect ratio and this is a really great way to have a placeholder so you could have a placeholder for a image to load in and then do like a cute little gradient background or something while it loads in and then your image has a place to load and it's so straightforward to do it all you do is aspect dash ratio colon 16 slash 9 and you have a 16 to 9 aspect ratio that's taking whatever size you give it so if it's with 100 then it's going to take that width and keep that vertical aspect ratio um, solid. And it's just a good thing to know that is hitting browsers and will save you that energy. <laughs> nice. Uh, this is funny because I just, uh, so I've been doing a bunch of React Native stuff recently. And one of the things that you kind of forget that it's so easy to do kind of in the web is scale an image in some ways. Like you can just say with 100%, it'll hide auto and it just kind of goes for the most part, you have still have to do some things often, you know, but it's real, it, you can do it versus on React Native where you have to like, if it's a remote image, you have to get, bring it down. You have to then do a little calc of like, uh, what is its rendered height and width? And then you have to do the math yourself. And so it's just like a lot more work. And so hearing about aspect ratio for the web sounds, sounds phenomenal. It's so good. But also, yeah, I mean, I've been sort of working in this, Gatsby project and using GraphQL. And so Gatsby, one of the, I think one of the best parts of Gatsby is that it has really great image tooling for like lazy loading images, like the Gatsby image that it just ships with. It's really nice because it does a lot of that work for you. Yeah. Um, and you're using GraphQL to pull the image down from your server. Yeah. yeah, from some, from somewhere. Um, and yeah, it's, it does like, some really interesting things and I, I feel like that is probably my favorite part of Gatsby. Yeah. Nice. Um my next grab bag is some more React Native stuff I've been doing. Um and it's a two parter. Uh the first is a deployment tool uh that I've been using recently and it's Expo's new EA EAS submit. Um, wait, 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 wait. Expose EAS. Uh, so so Expo has um, this two has two kind of pipelines. It has a managed workflow, which is um, there are whole build tools, and you can you can you, can, you build stuff with only JavaScript, no you know no Xcode or infrastructure required, um, no none of that stuff. You, you, you basically and you test in the browser. So that's where um, that testing. You don't is. you don't test in the browser. You, te you test in a simulator. So uh, Expo okay. has a little simulator where you can pop up and you um, or you can plug in a device, and it's super easy to use, super straightforward. You don't have to think about anything mobile at all. Um, however, the problem with the Expo managed service is that there are a lot of things you want to use when you need some native code. Uh, it might be a module. It might just you need you want to do, you want to use something you want to do some native stuff. 
And then at that point, you have to eject out of uh, Expo and use Expo. You have to use the bare workflow, which is then just React Native normally. And at that point, you have to use Xcode to kind of build build your tools. You have to use Xcode to submit stuff. Um, and there's just a lot of shenanigans in Xcode that is kind of hard to do, especially if you're like again like me, who's never done any mobile work, and you're kind of waiting your way through these massive IDEs with all these setup stuff, and it's just kind of hard to do versus X versus you know Expo's managed workflow, which is super easy to do, but you can't do things like in-app purchases. Um, more recently, they have a beta tool called EA, EAS Submit and EAS Build. And um, what it does is that you can basically send your your native application up to Expo servers and they will again, they will build native applications for you, even ones that have, you know, the native uh, dependencies. And so you get all the benefits out of the managed service, um, like the, you know, automatic builds and stuff like that, but you can use in-app purchases, you can use various native modules, and they also have a, a partner called EES Submit, which submits their, that kind of build to the various app stores. Um, and so you can mostly avoid most of the Xcode stuff. You still can still do, you have to do a little bit of it, but a lot of the pain has been bootstrapped away from you. Um, and it brings you a bit closer to the managed service. The one kind of caveat here is that it is a paid service, uh, EES Build and Submit, versus the managed service, which is free. But um, it's been really nice for me as I kind of like don't have to think about one more thing and uh, highly recommend it. Interesting. So this also reminds me that I feel like we should do a show on commerce tools, like trying out Stripe and trying out like other integration tools. I think that that could be an interesting show because we really haven't played with that. We got you know we got to get like a merch store yeah, no, so we can yep. play around yeah. with these things. <laughs> yeah, there's so many cool like SaaS tools out there, um, or like these very like, like Stripe is you know we we just went through a process of, of of getting a Stripe account for sponsorships here, and uh, it's just a part of the web now that I feel like a lot of people are adopting, and it's it's remarkable. It's it's pretty cool. It's cool because I feel like there needs to be a way to make money on the web that's not just ads and yeah. that is that is the way and i mean there's also yeah. other like you know like brave browsers like oh paying right. for yeah on your the, page yeah. <laughs> i think i i listened to a shop talk show uh, com uh commercial uh, episode about it and i think like um uh one of them was like yeah i've made like a dollar off of it or something yeah <laughs> i'm fun. sure that it's not <laughs> worth yeah. the time but i like this idea of like exploring this web space and sort of building on especially with the covid you know yeah yeah i, I like that it's kind yeah. of like really is allowing anybody to build e-commerce experience or get paid experiences and so um, and i think that really personalizes shopping too like yeah. I, I feel like i have a lot of friends who are now doing generative art and selling their like generative art work and i love having pieces from people I actually care about and like yeah. know and yeah, it's yeah. kind of more community based that yeah. way. Um, okay, so my last thing is something that is not new at all. It it has been around since CSS one and Ooh. it's something that I never knew about until I was preparing for a show on backgrounds for the CSS podcast that I do with Adam. And um, it's just like, I don't know why this blew my mind, but it is, two background repeat options so okay. okay the 
the default background repeat option is repeat. So if you have an image that you have as a background, so imagine like you have a flower and you have background repeat repeat, as you increase the size of that element, it will tile that flower. Like say you right. have like a 30 mm -hmm. pixel by 30 pixel flower, it'll tile it. And at the end of the element, like at the end of the div, it'll cut it off, right? So that's background repeat repeat. But there's two other properties, arguments, values that you could set as background repeat. And the first one is round. So with round. Wait, what? It's round, R-O-U-N-D. Yeah, I guess I, I guess I've also never used these, these things. Yeah, uh -huh. it's, yeah. So, so basically you, you have this flower and as you increase the size of the element, it increases to a point at which it's like sort of like too big and then it pops and then another flower pops in, like another element pops in. This is very similar to using repeat auto fit min max in grid template columns where you have like the flow of temp like columns and then if it, it stretches so that it's like too big it hits the max and another one flows in and creates a new column okay so it so gets bigger and then repeats yeah so it shrinks okay. slash gets bigger like within a, a space within a round space and then a new one appears and it repeats um so yeah it it it's it's interesting it'll like stretch and then the, the last one is uh, background repeat space. And this one will leave a gap between the flowers until there's enough space to put a new flower and then a new flower pops in. So for both round and space, you're never cutting off the tile. It always oh. is going to be at the start and the end of the uh, element, both vertically and horizontally. And there's this article in CSS Tricks and um, a tweet that Adi Asmani did, and it got like 9,000 shares. And then I, I like quote tweeted and got like 2,000 more likes. And like, I just wanted to share this because people don't know about it and I didn't even know about it. And it's a very elemental background property in CSS. <laughs> yeah, I, I didn't know about it either. So here we are. Yeah. Um, so yeah, those are my little grab bag, my things. What's Thanks. your what's your last? My last two? grab bag thing is a web conferencing software. Uh, it's in beta right now, but I'm using it with my team, and it's been so nice. It's called Around.me, um, and uh, it's got a around around.co. Sorry, but um, it's called Around.me, but the the link is Around.co. Um, maybe it's not called. Maybe it's just called Around. around raises 15 million to reinvent the hybrid workspace uh yes that is the i guess they just had a funding round um <laughs> um it is a really cool thing and so i think it's cool, it's cool for two for two reasons um one it's whole kind of gimmick is that it um shrinks the space from a square it is a traditional zoom or google meet or whatever whatever you use has this big square space of your entire webcam uh around um crops it to just your face essentially and it follows your face as you move around in your space and so it kind of makes a bit more dynamic thing and it really focuses on people's facial reactions. And so there's a bit of level of like intimacy that it, that it brings into your meetings, which is something I didn't expect out of, you know, a fierce, you know, web software or a you know, video conference software. And then it has a couple really nice things that I thought everything should have. So, uh, for example, it has a raise hands feature, just like, you know, Hangouts and Zoom does. But uh, it... It augments this by saying, you know, it tells you the order of the, of the hands that have been raised by a very clearly UI, you know, number. And then 
as soon as someone starts talking who's raised their hand, it will lower their hand for them, which sounds basic, but it's no one else does it. Um, and so like there are all these uh, small tweaks it does on uh, the UI. I have seen other chat softwares that do that, where as soon as you start speaking, it'll lower your hand for you. What and, software? And there's an order in Hangouts where you raise your hand so and then Hangouts you have the order. Ha Hangouts has it in a different panel. And what we found, at least in, at Netflix, was that people don't have that panel open all the time. And so you kind of like, you kind of have this thing where flipping between like the chat and then the actual people. So, you know. No, Hangouts no, I agree with you. I yeah, prefer this. Yeah. And it looks really yeah. nice. Like I'm looking at the site yeah. now and the technology, it looks like it's really focusing on reducing background and that's why it's a little bubble just around your face and it sort of follows yeah. that face bubble. Yeah, I mean, it's it's all these small UI tweaks to the experience that just makes it really nice. And it's one of those things, you know, we, you know, my team hate introducing new tools to our pipeline, but we've all kind of agreed, hey, we actually really like around. You know, it's been like good enough that we've stopped using Zoom and Hangouts for our team meetings. You know, we're like, oh, you know what? Uh, this is this is better. We we like it just a bit more. Um, and so, you know, if if you are somebody who has a bunch of team meetings, uh, highly recommend around. It's it, it's been really cool for us. This looks really cool, and I have a bunch of meetings. And yeah, how many people can you have in one of these? Um, I don't know. We have six on our team, so we have six in our meetings. I uh, I haven't stress tested it on larger than that. I really like this. This is like an instant use, an instant checkout, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's just, it's just, it's just, it's really nice. Uh, so I, I wonder if it'll work with my, my camera. Cause I have my DSLR set up for my webcam. So do I. And yeah. And I cannot use zoom. It just, what? it just, every single time I open zoom, I use the web app version and yeah. I don't use it that often. I just use it for like occasional, like working group meetings yeah. and it just doesn't work with my video setup. It's the only chat program that it doesn't work with. So I'm curious if I have any issues here. Yeah. Uh, I use, I have a, a 6,000, um, Sony and it works just fine. That's what I have. Yeah. No, a 6,600. I think that's the one. I have a cheaper version than that, but like it's a, it's the same, it's the same family of, of, of DSLRs. Okay. Dope. Uh, Those are uh, our cameras. So yeah. Yep. That's that's a bonus one for yeah, you. Yeah, bonus. <laughs> I think we talked about it a, a while back, but yeah. Uh yeah. Awesome. Um that's you, it for me. Any last tools from you before we close oh, out? I was going to see if you wanted to wrap up with our sponsor. Remind, absolutely, remind I do. the folks. No, absolutely I do. Uh our sponsor today is Voyage. Again, it's a tool built by and for developers. Get to these on-demand senior environments. Check them out. Uh, we'll have a link in our show notes, but it's voyageapp.io slash toolsday. That's, of course, T-O-O-L-S-D-A-Y. Be sure uh, to browser test, my friends. Be sure to browser test, my friends. <laughs> and not just browser test, but like OS test. Uh, and OS again, browser test. All the things. Do them all. All right. I hope that you liked our grab bag show. I thought this was fun. I think we should do this again. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Oh. Bye, y'all. We'll see you next time. Sorry for Bye. the awkward outro this uh, week. No. <laughs> <laughs> Bye.